Welcome to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese. So here's the deal. When I was a kid, my mom took my Atari away from me because I got really angry at Pitfall and threw the controller. That means I missed out on years of great games, not to mention years of great game music. And who says you can't blame everything on your mother? In any event, I enlisted the help of Brent Weinbach. He's the host of the Legacy Music Hour podcast. He co-hosts it, actually, with his friend Rob F. And I asked Brent to get me up to speed on why 8- and 16-bit era music is so great. Brent's enthusiasm for the genre is infectious, and we talked about so much music we couldn't even fit it all in. Brent, I want to thank you very much for taking time out to speak with me today about 8-bit music. I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, no, yeah, my pleasure. So without getting too specific right off the bat, what exactly do you love about the 8-bit era of video game music? Um, well, yeah, it's. I mean, I'm glad you say era, too, because um, the, there's something... It's not just the 8-bit era, but also the 16-bit era also... Um, the, the music is very melody driven. So, um, I think that's what makes the songs really memorable. And because of the, they're so melody driven, that's what makes the music so catchy. And, you know, as opposed to video game music of today's era, it's a lot more sort of backgroundy and it's not as, um, it's, well, it's just not as melodic. And so you just, it's not as memorable because of that. So that's something that I really like about the 8-bit era and, and the 16-bit era as well. Yeah. So do you feel like Anything got lost when 8-Bit then came into what what we have now? I don't think anything was really lost moving into 16. I mean, it was a little bit. I think uh, the the pieces from the 8-Bit era were a lot tighter and the loops were a lot shorter. Mm-hmm. Well, for the Japanese composers at least, but for the Western composers, the, it was a little more open. When you move into the 16-Bit era, I guess you do lose a little bit of that sense of tightness. But the melodies are still pretty tight. When you go beyond the 16-bit era and into the 64-bit and what we have today, a lot of that tightness is gone. It's just that strong sense of melody is lost. It just becomes sort of background or ambient type stuff or kind of full orchestral stuff. It's not as dynamic melody-wise. It's just it's just more backgroundy and more spread out. I think there was more creativity put into making something sound really good. And the 16-bit era was very sort of varied depending on what system you're talking about, you know? Because with Super Nintendo, it's got... They're using eight sample channels, and then with, with the Genesis, it's there's an FM synth with six channels or five channels, and, and a PSG, which is what the Nintendo had, and that has, like, four channels. So it kind of depends on the system, too, and so I think that would probably affect composition also. But, uh, yeah, I think that there's sort of ingenuity mm-hmm. um, as far as, like, working with the limited resources... There's something about that that forced the music to be really super good. You were talking about it being melody driven, and and yes. I, I exactly I know exactly what you mean. And some of the melodies, in fact, a, a good deal of them from earlier video games are really complex and chromatic and yeah. just 
complex and it's a huge departure from what we hear now. No, oh, yeah, you just you really can hear like sort of the counterpoint and mm-hmm. um, there's almost a classical aesthetic in a way, you know, that Baroque kind of aesthetic, uh, sort of, you know, in that yes. there's just within the three voices that you hear with Nintendo music, there's this melody and a counter melody or harmony and a bass voice and they're all kind of used, I mean, depending on the composer really, but mm-hmm. they're used in really smart ways, the, the way that they interact with each other, the, the three voices and stuff it can be really complex the way that they're composed or it's structured yeah have any love in your heart at all for modern video game scores? <laughs> well, uh, you know, generally not, you know. I mean, I might like it as much as I like sort of some film scores or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And some film scores are very melodic and very, you know, memorable. There's something actually kind of poppy about uh, the just the, the melodies are so strong and so, the, the music is so infectious, the, the older music, mm-hmm. that it just really gets in your head and it doesn't leave, you know. I mean, it was, right. you really can listen to it over and over again because it was designed that way, you know. To the, the, I mean, yep. there, was, there were short loops that were designed to be listened to and over and over again. There are certain games that come out nowadays. They do actually have some pretty good music and some catchy music. There's one game in particular, which is, is it's called Wario Land Shake It. And it came out for the Nintendo Wii, and I think it came out a couple of years ago. Um, and I, I played it at a friend's house, and I liked the game so much um, that I ended up buying a Wii <laughs> for this for this game. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm not really into new video games, but kind of plays like an older game. Mm-hmm. It's a 2D game, and it's a side scroller, and mm. really the sensibility of the game kind of really reminds me of a Super Nintendo game. And it does utilize the the technology of the Wii, but it doesn't overdo it. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of fun with this game, and the music to it is actually really good and catchy too. And and even though the quality is higher than music from the 8-bit or 16-bit era, mm-hmm. I feel like there is a certain quality about it that kind of harkens back to it though the songs are really melodic and catchy and and actually the composer who did the music on warrior land shake it uh his name is uh tomoya tamita he actually worked on super nintendo games you know back during the 16-bit era as well that's an example of a game that i think has good music um and it came out recently and actually the same composer worked on another game uh, called kirby's epic yarn and that that has some good music as well Mm -hmm. and also the original kirby composers uh hirokazu ando and um uh, Jun Ishikawa, they worked on that game as well. There's actually this other game that came out like a few months ago, um, and it only came out in Japan for the Xbox 360. It's called Eskatos. Mm-hmm. And the music to that, it totally sounds like Genesis music, or it sounds like Sega arcade music. Mm-hmm. It's all like FM synth kind of stuff, and it's, it's really good. It's actually a really good soundtrack. It's so good that they actually released a, an album for it. Oh, good. But it only came out in Japan, so you have to get it on import. But I think I believe it's region-free, so that game isn't region-free. A lot of Japanese games aren't, mm-hmm. but I think that one is. So if you can find it, 
Mm-hmm. And you can probably find it online somewhere. Mm-hmm. It will work on a on a, an Xbox 360. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, a, a, an American one or whatever. Sure, but sure. really good soundtrack, though. I mean, it has this older school sensibility about it, though. kind of parallels graphics too I mean, in the sense that the graphics I think for older games are a lot more colorful whereas mm-hmm. most commercial games and these first person shooters and stuff um, I think the aim is to look more like real life mm-hmm. and that makes it so that the graphics are kind of duller because real life is dull <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> which is why we and, play games right yeah exactly yeah, yeah. no well actually that's why I play games right. that's why I like super that's why Super Nintendo is my favorite system because the graphics are so colorful and yeah. so vibrant and it really makes you feel like you're in a video game there's a bunch of new stuff that sort of has that, that the, the old aesthetic that you know people are kind of trying to bring back the old aesthetic I think now you know you about your podcast in just a minute but sure um, but you also mentioned Mega Man and I went to see video games live and some of the biggest cheers were for some of the oldest games like Mega Man and Castlevania and obviously Mario I know the Mario music I mean how can you not if you're a gamer but but generally you know way more about this music than I do so for you what strikes you as great in those well Zelda has great music I mean particularly Zelda Link to the Past or Super Nintendo, that has just a great soundtrack. It's by Koji Kondo. And the Super Mario Brothers music is good. I, I mean, you know, actually, Super Mario Brothers Part 1, I'm not crazy about. I, actually, probably my favorite track from that from that game is actually the underwater music. favorite of the that bunch is Mega Man. You know, Mega Man 3 and Mega Man 2 just have really, really good music. Mega Man 2 was composed by uh, Takashi Tateshi, I think, and Part 3 was uh, Yasuaki Fujita. I mean, some of it just really sounds like pop music. It's just so good. Like Magnet Man's music from, from Mega Man 3, that's just really catchy song. Or Shadow Man music is really good also. Or the Dr. Wily stage from Mega Man 2. That's just really a good, just a solid piece of music. Um, and uh, it just really, it just draws you in. You know, it's just really strong, it's strong mm-hmm. music. love for 8-bit video game music do you feel is actually nostalgia driven rather than really liking the music do you know what I'm saying 
Yeah, well, for me, like, for me, it's not really nostalgic-driven. I mean, it's probably, like, 15 10% nostalgia-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Let me think. It's probably 15%. It's probably 15% nostalgia. I don't know. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, 15% nostalgia-driven. Uh, you know, I oftentimes listen to a lot of soundtracks that I've never heard before or that I didn't play when I was younger, mm-hmm. you know? But I think for other people, though, that probably it's a lot more nostalgia-driven, you know? Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I kind of listen to it more just as a music appreciator, you know? And that's that's what that's why I like it a lot. So it, it really has a lot less to do with nostalgia and more mm-hmm. to do with just great, well-composed music. soundtracks I just think is really great is um, Gunstar Heroes for Genesis. Mm-hmm. This is music by Kazuo Hanzawa. But there's a particular track called Dice Dance Days and it's so good. It's just it's such a good track. I mean, the whole soundtrack is good and it inspired me to get the game. Sure. We, we have a, a sponsor for our podcast and he they sent it over actually. Nice. It's a good game too uh, to match the soundtrack. game that uh, was released in Japan called Puyo Puyo Tsu and for the Genesis mm-hmm. or for, I should say the Mega Drive as it, it was called in, in <laughs> Japan that's kind of a favorite too right now that's just got a really good it's got a really good soundtrack I, and I never played that when I was younger I'm always discovering new music, so it's 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 neat. Um, it's the best part of this job, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, it, there's always something new that I can. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of crap out there too, but there's but there's. <laughs> yes. I mean, definitely. You know, you know, you think you know about video game music, and there's so much out there, and then mm-hmm. you discover these new gems and stuff. You know, I don't know. There's a ton of stuff. You know, those are just a few to mention. I mean, oh, here's another one. There's a Rockman and Forte. That was a very late Super Famicom game. Um, they were still making Super Famicom game, games in Japan well after they stopped making games in the United States for wow. Super Nintendo or huh. releasing games in the United States for Super Nintendo. But uh, Rockman and Forte eventually actually found its way in the United States as um, Mega Man and Bass for the Game Boy Advance. But that's sort of beyond the era that I'm interested in. But anyway, the music to that is really, really good. My feel-good song of the year is from a game called uh, it's Super Nazo Puyo 2 for the Super Famicom. <laughs> there's a song called uh, Overworld, and that's just the feel-good song of my year. Mm-hmm. 
what I like about you, Brent, is that you just have such a passion for this. Like, you just love it. You eat it up. That's, and I love that. Oh, like, I, love I just it, yeah. picture you, like, walking around L.A. with your iPod on listening to 8-Bit <laughs> Music all the time. Driving around Los Angeles. Driving around. Yeah, <laughs> right. I guess uh, people yeah. people drive out there, yeah. It's fun to actually drive to video game music because it makes you feel like you're in a driving game. <laughs> Especially if you're playing, <laughs> yeah. you know, driving game music. I mean, hopefully you yes. don't treat it too much like a driving game and right. feel like I can crash into other cars and stuff. But, yeah. um... If I'm listening to the music to Rad Racer while I'm driving, that's a lot of fun. I like to show off the music, too. Sometimes, like, I'll roll down the windows so that other cars can yeah. hear it, you know, because yeah. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the music. Right. I'm proud. And I, and, it's, and I kind of want someone to think, is that DuckTales that he's playing? You know, and, and <laughs> especially even traffic, you know. If you blast Konami music while you're in traffic and stuff, that's kind of neat. To I'm, I'm proud to show that off to people and, sure. and you know, maybe people are, you know, think it's cool and stuff, you know. Brent, you and your friend Rob F. have this really great show on 8-bit and 16-bit music called the Legacy Music Hours podcast that you can download from iTunes as well. And what's the website that we can get that from? LegacyMusicHour.com. Well, there you go. (laughs) Very easy. Very easy. Very Very easy. easy. So what got you guys thinking about doing a show about this? We're friends from um, comedy. We're both comedians, stand-up comedians. Mm -hmm. And... um, I think this has something to do with it a little bit, but we always actually had a, a great love for new age music. Um, and so, I'm not really too related to video game music, but I don't know. We always just had that. And I don't know, for some reason, that I think that was part, maybe partially part of it. But uh, he knew I was into video game music, and he, he liked video game music a lot. And well, actually, it goes back to this. When I was in college, I used to do radio stuff at a community station in the Bay Area called KALX. And I play video game music from these CDs I made on my program. I just really wanted to expose the music and just get it out there and mm-hmm. just have people. I just want to share with people this music that I really love so much. So I stopped doing that. And basically, you know, many years later, I was, I thought to myself, I, I really want to do that again. I really want to. Ex- and when podcasting, you know, started becoming popular, I thought, well, maybe mm-hmm. I could just do it as a podcast. I was just talking to Rob about it one day and he would, said, you know what? I'll buy some equipment and we'll, how about we, and I'll do it. You know, we'll I'll do it mm-hmm. with you and stuff. And I said, all right, sure. You know, so we just you know decided to do it that way because I really wanted to start doing it again because I did it in the past. And I mean, basically, doing a podcast is like having a radio show, but it's mm-hmm. when you do a podcast, nobody listens. Is the only difference. So. <laughs> exactly. But it's the same. But it's the same kind of thing, though. Basically. You 
know, it's a show and tell thing where we just bring in tracks that we really like and share them with each other as if I was sharing them with, you know, with a buddy. I mean, I, I am essentially sharing mm-hmm. with a buddy where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, check out this track. The track is really good. And then, so we'll play the track in its entirety. And then after the, it loops over, we'll come on mic and talk about which parts we like. And so for each episode, we pick a different topic or we might focus on a specific composer, you know, or we might pick like a company focus. And so, yeah, we'll just pick any mm-hmm. kind of topic. We also, we've had interviews too on our show too. We've, we had an uh, interview with a guy named Jeff Van Dyke, who um, was, is a Canadian composer. He lives in Australia now, who did a lot of music for some early EA sports games like uh, FIFA soccer and, um, mm-hmm. and other things. And, and we had him on, that was a really informative episode actually because we talked a lot about the hardware of the genesis and stuff and that was really interesting via email we interviewed uh hirokazu tanaka who did the music to the original music to metroid and uh the music to um kid icarus and some other things too and uh Mm -hmm. that's kind of interesting because he started with nintendo in 1980 started doing sound effects for donkey kong wow and um he's (laughs) he's just been in it for a long time but then our most recent interview was with uh yamashita she composed the music to Castlevania. That's what her most well-known uh, game is. That's right. Um, and uh, she also, uh, she's actually made some appearances on the video games live, actually. Um, mm-hmm. But she uh, also did uh, like Mega Man X3 for the Super Nintendo, and uh, she did uh, Power Blade and, and lots of other things, too. We did actually have a live interview with her via Skype. The most breaking newsworthy thing that came out of that episode was that the really famous song from Castlevania, Vampire Killer. It's the first level of music from Castlevania. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks that she composed it, but it turns out she didn't, though. There was another composer who worked on Castlevania, and that composer, whose name is Satoi Terashima, she did the music to that song. And she actually did the music to, like, I don't know, a third of the songs in the game. Some people are going to think that sounds really nerdy, but um, I don't know. It was interesting. <laughs> it was interesting to, to, to me, at least, that, that you know, oh, sure. somebody, somebody is... This really famous piece of music, at least famous within the video game music world, someone's not getting credit for that, you know, or someone else is getting credit for that, you know. So um, that's just that's interesting to me. Yeah. bit and 16-bit era of video game music, at least half of my favorite composers are all women composers. Especially Capcom, there's just tons of female composers, you know, from Mari Yamaguchi and Junko Tamiya and, uh, well, Kunui Yamashita, she, she did some freelance work for, for Capcom. Um, and then, you know, actually Konami as well, and there's lots of female composers and um, oh, actually, mm-hmm. even Nintendo, Soya Oka. She's, she did, she's a really great composer. She did Pilot Wings, and she did, uh, I don't know, SimCity. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting mm-hmm. to me that there's so many prominent female composers in video game music. What's your background in music? Like, do you have a musical background? Yeah, I used to work as a professional musician. Um, 
I, I, I mainly played background music, jazz background music for hotels and restaurants and stuff like that. I mean, I was trained in jazz and then I, I minored in music in college. And, uh, yeah, I mean, after college I was playing in, in restaurants and like I said, and doing that sort of thing. So what's your instrument? Piano, piano. Yeah. Oh, okay. And actually, okay. I would oftentimes play a lot of video game music on piano and kind of jazz it up at some of the lounges and stuff I would play at. And people just thought I was playing jazz standards and stuff. But some, yeah. every now and then people would come up to me and, and say, is that Zelda? Or they'd say, <laughs> did you just play Castlevania? Or somebody would be like, hey, can you play Tetris? And then I would you know, play <laughs> Tetris. <laughs> Whenever I say I do this podcast about video game music, they're like, oh, you mean like chiptune stuff? Or, do you know, do you like these? And then they name these bands that are current bands that are doing chiptune stuff. And I'm just yeah. like, no, no, not at all. Like, totally not. Because it's, <laughs> it's, it's very different to me, you know. Um, and just quickly, I'll try to, like, explain it. But, the, you know, to me, what makes video game music from the era that I like it from sound like video game music has much less to do with the hardware and much more to do with the composition and the structural aspect of it, you know? It's the way mm-hmm. the music was mm-hmm. written that makes it sound like video game music, not the way it sounds. So, you know, people are using Game Boys, like you said, and they're making this kind of music that has an 8-bit sound to it, but as far as the composition goes, it doesn't sound like video game music at all. And I think people like that kind of sound because it sounds nostalgic, but I don't put them in anywhere close to the same category at all. You know, it's really about the composition. For the longest time, every night before I went to bed, I would play through the entire uh, Super Mario Brothers for the Game Boy mm. because I loved the end music oh, so much. Yeah, yeah. I used to. I think I could get it done in about forty to forty-five minutes. Oh, that's I could get good. through the whole game. Yeah. And and I just loved the end music for that. Yeah, Su- Super game. Mario Land. I, the the actually I really like Super Mario Land. Yeah. That's what it was. I really yeah. like actually that first level too. Um, the first level to that game. I think that music was by Hirokazu Tanaka, who I mentioned earlier, who did the, the Metroid okay. and stuff like that. I would um, make tapes when I was younger, uh, audio cassette tapes of uh, all ending music. You know, I I beat the game and record (laughs) the music on a tape and just, I have like an album of ending music from, that I made myself (laughs) when I was younger. Um, (laughs) And I just, I would record it from TV, the TV, you know. Well, thanks again, Brent. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me.
You've been listening to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese, and our technical director is Sam Keenan. We got a lot of help getting this music from Mike Vosich. This show would not have come together without him. So thank you, Mike, for opening up your extensive music library to us here at Top Score. Our next episode will feature audio and video of our first live event here at Top Score. Composer Jesper Kidd of Assassin's Creed, Borderlands, and Hitman fame graciously visited us here at Minnesota Public Radio headquarters in St. Paul in November. Highlights from his visit on our next show. We also have three winners from our Lord of the Rings War in the North giveaway. Danielle, Daniel, and Jodine each won a copy of the Xbox 360 game and the original soundtrack written by Enon Zur. As always, you can follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at Top Score Podcast, and you can find out information on becoming a member of Classical NPR at minnesotapublicradio.org. Dig Dug. Dig Dug is a brand new game with the possibility of patterns, but never the same screen. The object of the game is to kill the two types of creatures following you, the Phygar and the Puka, without them killing you. The Phygar, or green guy, breathes fire on a horizontal plane only. So when you're near the Phygar and moving horizontally, you need to move vertically up or down to avoid getting killed. The puka just flies around at you. Both creatures can walk across any obstacle. In this game you make tunnels. However, when you are digging a tunnel, the creatures move twice as fast as you do. When you are out in the open though, you are faster and can outrun them. There are two ways to kill the creatures. You can pump them up with a pump button or you can catch them under a rock. To kill using the pump button, you must push it several times and the creature will burst. One push of the pump button will not kill, it will only delay him. You get a lot more points for getting the Phygar or Puka by catching them under a rock than by simply shooting them with a pump button. However, as a beginner it's best to just kill everyone as fast as you can by using the pump button. When you've gotten very good at using the pump button, you can shoot to delay, not to kill. The idea is for you to dig down and tunnel back up underneath a rock, getting some of these creatures to follow you. Since they'll move faster in the tunnel than you will, you'll need to slow them down by shooting them with a pump. Remember, shooting to delay, not to kill. Now you tunnel up from underneath a rock and face the rock. Hold it there. Then, as the creatures get close, you move to the right or to the left and the rock drops, thus catching the creatures. After two rocks drop, a vegetable appears in the center of the screen for more points. Whenever the vegetable appears, go over it to get the points and then continue play as usual. It is important to know that the only way for you to get by or go underneath one of these creatures is when he's been pumped up.